good soup. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Nerd Soup. I am Bo Oliver, and I am here today to review the HBO original series, House of the Dragon, Episode 4, The King of the Narrow Sea. Here by myself today, so I'll do my best to hold down the fort before we release our spoiler discussion a little later in the week, but I thought this was another terrific episode, and at this point, I've enjoyed every episode so far, so I'm wondering if my own bias is getting in the way, but man, this one in particular evoked feelings of watching Game of Thrones in its prime. The dialogue was so crisp and layered, there's so much great foreshadowing for book readers to pick up on, and just a lot of stuff for everyone in general, man. It just continues to be a good show, continues to develop these relationships in a messy but smart way, and uh, just can't say enough positive things about this episode. But, you know, what stood out the most, I think, uh, about this episode 4 was the struggle between duty and desire, specifically regarding the roles of Rhaenyra and Alicent uh, as princess and queen. There was even a, a moment of reconciliation between the two friends after years of tension, and that caught me off guard. You know, I thought moving forward, every scene between them was just going to be very tense and icy without much warmth or friendship. But, you know, they kind of tell each other, hey, I miss this. I miss when it was just us two and we didn't have to worry about making sense of you being my mother-in-law and your children being my siblings. <laughs> you know? And the conversation evolves into, you know, discussing the responsibilities as royals. Rhaenyra unintentionally hurts Alicent's feelings, uh, just like how Alicent hurt Rhaenyra's feelings in the previous episode, talking about the ease of childbirth. And here it's Rhaenyra complaining about her future of being trapped in a castle, forced to sire heirs for an old man she doesn't love, which is precisely Alicent's Alicent's current predicament. She feels like she is losing her identity as the former Lady Alicent. Everyone around her only sees her as queen and nothing more, which kind of creeps her out. Even how she addresses Viserys in private as my husband, it sounds strange, it's frigid and odd. These moments of awkward intimacy between the two of them are far removed from the tenderness and love Viserys and Emma would often share in private. Well, not often, we only see them for one scene, but just... That one scene is in stark contrast to every scene of Alicent and Viserys in private. Even when nobody's looking, she refers to him as my husband. She can't even call him Viserys. Obviously, there are no pet names. It's just nasty, you know? It's just an awkward dynamic. Alicent's entire existence has become dedicated to her duty as queen, turning her into a rigorous mannequin of niceties and formalities. Still, during this moment with Rhaenyra, she feels like her old self, for a time. But it doesn't last long, as Rhaenyra's uncle has returned to King's Landing to show her a good time, while Alicent becomes increasingly jealous of her old friend's newfound freedom. Once again, that struggle between duty and desire. Alicent's caught up in all the duty, which is a funny thing to say, and Rhaenyra's exploring her desires. During their time away, Rhaenyra and Damon haven't lost a single ounce of chemistry between them. In many ways, their time apart has brought them even closer. They find comfort in each other's presences after being away for so long. Damon is very much the object of Rhaenyra's desire in this episode, and she struggles to find in any man what she sees and greatly admires in Damon when she's courting new husbands, strength, intelligence, swagger, unpredictability, and most importantly, silver hair. And for Damon, Rhaenyra is the woman, probably the person he most admires in the world. Probably the only opinion he truly cares about besides his own. I, I really, really love the way these two communicate when they're speaking Valyrian. It almost feels like a language they created themselves to keep each other's secrets, adding a unique level of intimacy to the relationship that they couldn't find with anybody else. 
During this conversation, Damon attempts to convince Rhaenyra of her privileges as princess, claiming that if she marries and has kids, it, it doesn't matter. She's a Targaryen. She's royal. She can do whatever she wants. But Rhaenyra pushes back on this idea, saying, hey, the expectations for a woman ruler are far more rigorous than those for a man. This response inspires Damon to take his niece out for a night on the town, giving her an up-close and personal introduction to the people she must win over if she wants to be a successful ruler while also showing her how good it feels to be free of her duties for a night. And the setup for this was cute, leaving her the map and the clothes. She finds the secret passageways. It's a good way to set up this mischievous night that they share. In the previous episode, Kristen Cole tells Rhaenyra that many commoners would gladly trade places with the princess if given the opportunity. Yet now it is Rhaenyra pretending to be one of the small folk, dressed like a man making a midnight run to their local bodega to buy a few vanilla duches and a blue Powerade before the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson starts. Yeah, I'm describing myself. Basically, she's dressed like me in early 2014. She and her uncle stroll the streets of King's Landing, carefully sidestepping the droves of men and women celebrating nothing in particular. Drinking, fighting, and shamelessly fucking in public for everyone to see. Essentially, it's the Bourbon Street of King's Landing. And Rhaenyra has never looked happier. He called me boy. This episode does a great job juxtaposing Rhaenyra's night out with Alicent's night in which includes taking care of her infant daughter and reluctantly betting King Viserys in the middle of the night. So while Rhaenyra is out enjoying the freedom of being no one, Alicent is actively living the nightmare of being royalty, the nightmare that Rhaenyra expressed to Alicent in their conversation earlier. She's lying in bed, desperately trying to imagine herself anywhere but here. Meanwhile, Rhaenyra is living a night that she probably wishes would never end, although the play about Viserys' succession leaves a sour taste in her mouth. Damon explains that she must be weary of the small folk's opinions on who rules the Seven Kingdoms. For now, she is known to the common folk as the realm's delight, but the hearts of men are fickle, and names of endearment can quickly be replaced with names of disparagement and contempt. Though commoners have no say on who becomes king or queen, they do play a major role in how long that man or woman remains in power. Keeping the peace is probably the most important aspect of ruling. But for Damon, the most important business is always pleasure, and he decides that demonstrating this would be far more effective than simply telling his niece. So they stumble into a brothel during an orgy that leaves them both pretty hot and bothered, and the incest they've been teasing for four episodes finally begins. I swear I could see beads of sweat dripping down the lens of this camera. This was a hot and steamy and excruciatingly uncomfortable scene to watch. It was like being pushed into a room of horrible smells and images and somebody takes off the blindfold and you're like, what the hell is going on? And it's the only way you can overcome it is just by joining in on the fun, right? Can't beat them, join them. On the one hand, I can't help but admire the explicit nature of the scene, since movies and television in the 21st century treat sex like the worst kind of forbidden fruit. But on the other hand, incest. So, yeah. Their infatuation sets the screen on fire, Damon's monologue is dripping in eroticism and finesse, imploring Rhaenyra to let loose and embrace your desires. The sleek directing and editing perfectly sets the mood for their intense, albeit brief, encounter, which is set up in a way that makes it impossible for Rhaenyra to resist. And it's also pretty tough to use clips when talking about this scene because of how explicit it is. But I also appreciated the way it's like a, an erotic maze where they're moving in and out. They're weaving within their each other's personal spaces. It's just 
perfect setup for this moment. And once again, Damon is unable to perform. I saw a lot of theories about this online after the episode, some people speculating that maybe the setting wasn't right. In the back of his mind, he may be thinking, this is not the appropriate place. Uh, I think it has something to do with Damon's feelings of insecurity, even though he comes off as very confident and cocky. There are moments where he doubts himself, like in episode one with Masaria, questioning whether or not he's going to remain heir to the Iron Throne. And here, maybe there's an element of him feeling he'll never actually be with Rhaenyra because of how complicated it is and how sour his relationship with his brother has become. So he pulls back before anything illegal can happen. And I swear I heard half the fan base breathe a sigh of relief, and then I heard the other half groan an abject disappointment. Poor Chris and Cole doesn't even realize he's a rebound for a chick who moments ago was trying to fuck her uncle. In contrast to the scene in the brothel, the two of them share a very tastefully crafted moment of intimacy. Young lovers who can hardly believe what they are doing. You know, giggling. Ooh, are we gonna get caught? Oh my god, this is crazy. And the nervousness is what really sells this moment. You can see their hands almost shaking as they rush to remove their clothes. It captures the excitement and adrenaline of being intimate with someone you actually like, rather than you know, someone you're forced to marry. Deliberately less sexy than the scene shared between Damon and Rhaenyra, and far less sweaty, it demonstrates the innocence of their relationship, and how they probably be doing the nasty every night under different circumstances, you know? But alas, they are princess and Kingsguard, so things can only get more complicated from here. I also have to point out, even in medieval times, women would use the old grabbing a man's hat and running away trick. Classic trap move by the princess. It is also kind of sad how Kristen was used by someone he genuinely likes. Uh, for, uh, you know, I don't deny, I, I don't doubt that Rhaenyra likes Kristen, but this was definitely a moment of pleasure for her. For Kristen, this was like, damn, are we going out to breakfast tomorrow? Should I call you? Should we move in? You want to meet the parents? <laughs> and also the implications of a Knight of the Kingsguard sleeping with the princess. That's something that could be fatal. That's against the law. It's It would be super scandalous. So if anybody finds out, that's going to be one pretty head on a spike. And I have to compliment the directing again. You could also feel this in the scene in the brothel, but the way the camera is placed in certain moments and cuts, it's like it's spying on them. You know, behind closed doors, behind a wall. It reminds me of the way Fire and Blood was told. The room rumors through hearsay, eavesdropping, so that was a nice touch in this scene and in the previous scene as well. Of course, time will tell how complicated things will become between Rhaenyra and her favorite member of the Kingsguard, and even Damon, seeing as how the latter two are bitter rivals, still. Good old-fashioned love triangle never hurt nobody. Especially not in this world. Later in the episode, Allison confronts Rhaenyra over her time with Damon, and based on Allison's tone, it's almost as if she feels betrayed by her former friend. Why should Rhaenyra be allowed to have fun and act like an ordinary kid while Allison wastes away in a tower? Not only is Allison forced to do her duty as queen, but she is also working hard to find a match for Rhaenyra, so she's doing her work and she's doing Rhaenyra's work. Meanwhile, the princess spurns every possible suitor in favor of the company of her uncle and Kristen. Allison, on the other hand, was robbed of any opportunity to experience any real intimacy with someone she likes because she was forced to marry the king. So, learning about Rhaenyra's after-hour activities makes her a little bitter. Does anyone else notice how every time a non-Targaryen becomes displeased with an actual Targaryen, they become a little racist towards them? For example, Alicent mentions their family's strange ways when accusing Rhaenyra of being with her uncle. She's unable to hide her growing resentment towards the royal family as a whole and, you know, begins to take some cheap shots. What about the incest? I know you guys like that. It's not even a rumor. There's historical precedent for it. 
Typical Targaryens, keeping it in the family in the worst possible way. I doubt she even cares about the incest, you know? It's more about the Targaryen hubris and their sense of superiority. Not only can they exist above duty when they choose to, something that's no longer an option for Alicent, but they also exist above the laws of gods and men. These are privileges that Alicent does not have, will not have, not even as queen. And it leaves her angry and confused and disillusioned with her role in all of this. Rhaenyra, of course, denies the accusations, swearing on her mother's grave to prove her innocence. This chick really knows how to play the game to the point of spinning these rumors in her favor. She knows how desperate Viserys is to marry her off, so she uses this as an opportunity to have Otto dismissed from the small council entirely in exchange for her marriage to Lenor. Oh, Dad, you're desperate for me to be married before anybody else finds out I'm not a virgin? Fine, get rid of your best friend and we'll call it even. But Alicent remains in King's Landing, and I continue to grow more sympathetic for this character as the season progresses. She's a character who's trapped in a loot with no agency or will of her own besides the will of her middle-aged husband. It's basically torture for a young woman. Being, it's like being stuck on a treadmill without any idea of when you'll be allowed to get off. You just have to keep jogging, keep moving, keep juggling this situation until you break down. Uh, it's the type of situation that turns individuals into shells of their former selves, and we're starting to see that with Alicent. It's unclear if Rhaenyra and Alicent were ever actually in love. It's an idea that the fans have really latched onto, as have the actors. But Alicent does sort of come off as a jilted lover during this exchange. Like she's jealous of Rhaenyra's freedom and ability to pursue her desires despite her duty. And she may also feel a little bit heartbroken over her choice of Damon as a lover. The worst part is that she feels powerless to stop any of this and can only advise the king on who she believes to be more trustworthy. Another moment that stood out to me was when Viserys openly mocks Alicent during the feast to celebrate Daemon's return. Even though Alicent's been a very dutiful queen and wife, Viserys treats her like any other kid at court, which she is, so maybe she shouldn't be forced to act like an adult. I mean, she's trying her best, you know, and this guy's like, this fucking asshole doesn't want to see the tapestries. You think this guy cares about anything but but himself? <laughs> Poor girl is just trying to keep the peace. You know, she's like, don't you, don't you two usually hate each other? I'm just trying to make nice. And the king embarrasses her by laughing in her face. You know, she displays a maturity that can't even be reciprocated in the slightest in this moment. The show has established that Viserys isn't a bad guy. He's gray. Leans more towards good in my opinion, but he does struggle to see people for who they truly are, and also struggles to see their individual worth beyond what they're worth to him as king. Until now, we've seen Viserys pulled in every direction, bending and breaking to the wills of those around him in order to keep hold of his power and throne, but in this scene with Otto Hightower, he finally stands his ground and carves a new path. Well, you know, because of Rhaenyra's manipulation, but still. It's his decision. He's king. It's almost like he had been waiting years to deliver this message to Otto, and he savors every last moment of the Hand's dismissal. Like, yeah, you're witty. You're a good advisor. You helped me learn how to become king when my dad died and the job sort of fell into your lap. But you are an insufferable, pompous piece of fucking dog shit. So clever, but not clever enough to hide your true intentions. Viserys was visibly annoyed by how obvious Otto's scheming had become. Uh, honestly, why are you filling me in on my daughter's sex life? I don't give a fuck. <laughs> it's not my business. Why are you spying on her? Stop dry snitching. All season, Otto has been victorious at every turn, gleefully handing out snide glances to his enemies whenever he comes out on top, so it was highly satisfying to see that sweet, sweet look of disappointment hanging all over 
over his face. It's an important moment for Viserys as king. It reaffirms his commitment to Rhaenyra while showing a willingness to dispose of those who will stand against her, even though he considers Otto a close friend. Though he expresses disappointment in Rhaenyra's recent behavior, he believes staying true to his word will help keep the peace throughout the kingdoms, and more importantly, within his immediate family. Now, I didn't mind the mention of Aegon's prophecy in the premiere episode, but now hearing them talk about the prince that was promised, it, it just pisses me off. Because that was supposed to be Jon. And instead of becoming the prince who was promised, everyone's made this joke, he became the simp who was promised. I guess it serves as a lesson for Rhaenyra that she's living for a greater purpose than herself or her family, but please, stop reminding me of the prophecy we all spent years obsessing over, only for it to go up in flames. I hear this and all I think about is John yelling in the face of a dead dragon. And it pisses me off. But man, poor Viserys continues to find himself in the worst health. Westerosi healthcare is just not up to date, you know? Man's got an autoimmune disease and no one has no idea how to treat it. He's got the cuts on his back and his body. He's becoming more grotesque over time. It's like he's, you know, becoming sort of a monster. It's, it's unfortunate. Damon, on the other hand, has never looked better. You know, he walks into the Red Keep, new cut, strutting around like he owns the place, leaning and limping with swagger and presence. He's draped in the glory of his previous victories with a tilted crown that fits perfectly on his head. His presence alone puts the entire room on pins and needles, especially when he walks directly into Harold Westerling's sword. You can't smell an ounce of fear on this guy, and in this moment in time, Damon feels bulletproof, almost as if he's immune to the politics suffocating everybody in the room. Damon has never breathed more easily in the presence of his king, but as we know, he's not bulletproof, so he wisely concedes his crown to the throne, and the two brothers share a sweet moment of reconciliation. And then Damon is immediately exiled the next day. Viserys discovers his pursuit of Rhaenyra, not too happy about that, drags him in, drunk, and can barely stand, and, you know, Damon doesn't even deny these accusations. He even lets Viserys believe that he has taken the princess's virtue, thinking that Viserys will have no choice but to allow them to get married, right? Damon makes no effort whatsoever to hide his affection for Rhaenyra and his ambitions for the throne. He doesn't really care who knows it, even the king himself. He was sent away from King's Landing once before and managed to weasel his way back in. He knows that exile is not the solution that Viserys thinks it is. One has to think that it's only a matter of time before Rhaenyra and Damon pick up where they left off in the brothel, right? That's the last scene that they had together. Now he's going away again. It's going to be uh, interesting when they do reunite, as their relationship develops into an ever-growing thorn in Viserys' side. We're also reintroduced to Masaria in this episode, who has left behind the skin trade, as she calls it, in favor for the information trade, as I call it right now. As you can see here, the same boy talking to Masaria is the same kid talking to Otto, so we can infer that Damon may have orchestrated this exchange to remove Otto from the picture. Nice little alley-oop to Rhaenyra that she windmills like dunks. Unfortunately, Otto just couldn't help himself with this juicy morsel of information, and Damon knows his enemies all too well, so he sets the trap. Otto walks into it face first, pie all over his face, win for Damon and Rhaenyra, massive loss for the High Towers. Uh, and now with Missaria acting as this sort of unofficial master of whisperers, she becomes an even more powerful player on this chessboard that grows increasingly complicated with each new additional piece. And, you know, that scene at the end almost 
totally forgot about it. Viserys mentions the unforeseen consequences of Rhaenyra lying with another man. For Rhaenyra, the unforeseen consequences having to be put in this position where you have to make this decision. And uh, I, I think it's something that's going to be left ambiguous. It obviously cuts to black. We don't know if she takes it or not. But if any of her future kids looking like Crispin Cole, people are going to draw some conclusions. And like I mentioned, it's a, you know, an unfortunate situation for Rhaenyra to be in, to have to make this decision. And and it also shows that Viserys wasn't convinced whatsoever that Rhaenyra didn't sleep with Damon, so he doesn't trust his daughter, but in a way, he's he's trying to assist her here to make sure that the secrets don't get out so that her reputation isn't ruined. Powerful scene to end this episode. Like I said, the cut to black. I think it's definitely something that's going to be left ambiguous. Uh, as the show moves into seasons two and three. A small moment I really loved from this episode was in the beginning when uh, Homie from House Blackwood let the iron fly against that asshole from House Bracken. That uh, Somebody called him on Twitter, Lord Fucketh and Found Outeth. And, uh, you know, I love the way that it was filmed. We hear the killing blow off screen. We're teased with uh, the reaction from Rhaenyra and Kristen. And then, boom, we see it. The outcome we all so desperately wanted. Or at least I did. You know, that that guy was pissing me the hell off. And the kid stood strong, you know? He was delivering his speech. He wasn't thrown off whatsoever. And then, <laughs> and then he fucking killed him. You know, those little memorable moments like that, they bring the show to life. You, you're establishing centuries-old rivalries between houses within a matter of minutes. And you brutally capture how desperate these characters are to make silver-haired babies with the Targaryen princess. And I also continue to be so impressed by the many efforts the showrunners are making to develop this new look at a familiar world. Every set, setting, costume, character, it just feels true to the story that it's based on. Which is hard to do when you're dealing with such an expansive world and complicated narrative. It's what Game of Thrones did so successfully for many seasons, uh, but it's never easy. I think the opening scene at Storm's End is a perfect example. A dampened atmosphere with all the pomp and circumstance of courting a princess. Stunning, but also sinister. The castle's design is big and spooky, and it perfectly sets the stage for the courtship. And at the same time, the music brilliantly captures the uneasiness of the situation, representing the anxiety hanging over the heads of Rhaenyra's would-be pursuers. As she sits up there, unimpressed, unengaged by the their claims. She just wants to go home. None of these resumes are moving her. You know, it's no easy feat to stand before the dragon and convince them of your worth, you know, especially when they're hecklers in the crowd fucking up your performance. Since we're on the topic of music, I love the way the score became more playful and curious during Rhaenyra's escape through the hidden passageways of the Red Keep. It's a beautiful little touch that subtly enhances the scene, prepares us for the fun and mischievous adventure ahead. Subtleties like this can be heard throughout Dijawadi's incredible score, even in Game of Thrones and now in House of Dragon, but it's just those little details that really shore up the corners of this world to develop that full picture. And the dialogue, you know, some of the foreshadowing in this episode, people are going to look back and say, man, a lot of these story threads were hiding in plain sight. The ending to some of these story threads, uh, you know, each line is packed with layers and layers of motivation and ambition and characterization and emotion. It speaks to the ambitions of each character. You know, I mentioned before that the, you know, it's, it's a chessboard, this story, but it's got many different moving hands manipulating these pieces. It's like the early seasons of Game of Thrones. You feel like every hand is distinct. Every line spoken by these characters can be further dissected and examined to understand who they are as characters. 
You know, what makes them tick? Why are they making the decisions they are making? And episodes like this, you know, when it's packed with so much foreshadowing and development, characterization, they always end up being the most important episodes further down the road. Doesn't matter how good the destination is if the setup sucks. And I think the setup they've provided over these first four episodes will go a long way in bringing this story home. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts about episode four. So comment down below. What did you think? Uh, how, How have you enjoyed the season so far? What's been your favorite episode? who's your favorite character get those comments popping man it's been really fun to just be back in this world and like i mentioned we will be back later in the week with our spoiler discussion so yeah i'm gonna go ahead and play that baked in outro and probably take a nap i'm tired all right guys that does it for this video thank you for joining us for this review for aaron the nerd suit monkey i am bo oliver before we sign off i want to quickly spotlight our weekly podcast the nerd suit podcast published every wednesday at noon Every week, you could join myself, Aaron, Teddy, and the rest of the NerdSoup crew as we discuss the hottest stories in movies and TV, equipped with some off-the-cuff commentary on the world of pop culture, while also providing extended reviews for the movies and shows we love. You can subscribe to our podcast channel on YouTube at the NerdSoup Podcast, which can also be found on our NerdSoup homepage, and you can listen to episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all of the podcasting platforms we publish to. Thank you again for joining us on this review, and we will be back next week 